Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. Want to get smarter about investing? Then tune in to the Capital Ideas Podcast from Capital Group, home of American Funds Distributors, Inc., one of the world's leading asset managers. Learn from portfolio managers with decades of experience by listening to the Capital Ideas Podcast today. And we welcome you back to the Sports Media Watch podcast. This is John Lewis with co-host Drew Lerner. Today, we're going to be discussing all of the ratings from the weekend, a very eventful weekend in college basketball, obviously, with the men's and women's Final Fours, and some other items uh, of sports media interest. Don't forget, if you have not already, please subscribe to the Sports Media Watch podcast feed anywhere you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, etc., Sports Media Watch is available on all of those platforms. So let's just jump right into it today and discuss the big story from the weekend, the Women's National Championship game and Final Four and the uh, unprecedented numbers that were uh, that were generated for those two events. 9.9 million viewers for the final on Sunday. Uh, the kind of number, let's be completely real, even the most... Uh, positive prognosticator would never have imagined that nearly 10 million viewers watch women's basketball. That's the kind of numbers that women's basketball only gets during the Olympics. Uh, and even the last Olympics, I don't think they got that for the gold medal game. We know that this tournament, the women's tournament had not gotten even 5 million viewers for a title game since 2004. So uh, this blew past any reasonable expectation in that 3.30 PM window on ABC by the way, uh, 9.9 million American Idol in prime time, 5.1 million, uh, just so we're all aware, 4.9 million for America's Funniest Home Videos. Uh, and that's with uh, probably an elevated audience uh, based on on the game. In fact, World News Tonight did better uh, than those two primetime shows because of the direct lead-in from the women's game. So uh, it's a tremendous number. Uh, I mean, it really begs the question of what now is the expectation? Was this the ceiling? Right, because you think to yourself, in prime time, maybe even better, but maybe not. I mean, you know, nine point nine million viewers. I would never have thought that a women's basketball game. You know, I've been watching the WNBA since year one. We all know the popularity of the WNBA. We know the women's college game is more popular than that, significantly more. But we, it's always been on that second tier. Now you're talking about nine point nine million in a year where the men's final four, the semifinals were 12 and 13 million, right? 10 million versus 12 and 13 million is not a meaningful gap, right? So um, in the NBA finals last year, uh, averaged 12 million as well. So it's right there with the top men's basketball events. So is this the new norm? I mean, obviously we can't possibly know that, right? Uh, you know, what was it? The Indy 500 when Danica Patrick won had a tremendous number that was never seen again, right? So, you know, you can't know for sure what this is going to be. This might be looked back at as, hey, wow, remember that one Caitlin Clark year? And then, you know, but if this is the beginning of something, uh, you know, it's, it's going to be very interesting to see what the rights look like, what the TV coverage looks like. Uh, when you have a rights deal with ESPN, you don't have an over-the-year partner. 
because ESPN does not want its events on ABC. I am quite sure that there are people at ESPN upset that they did not have that title game because that was their game for years. And the year that, and by the way, the being on ABC had very little to do with this because we saw what the numbers were for the semifinals. The semifinals were shockingly high. So that was going to be a very high number on ESPN anyway. So the one year where the numbers really take off, ESPN loses what would have been its highest rated event outside of the Super Bowl, uh, the Super Bowl, outside of the NFL, college football, and maybe an NBA playoff game or two. They lose that event to ABC. I'm quite sure there's people there who are upset about that. Uh, and that's one of the reasons why I think I actually think the numbers this year make it less likely that the semifinals will move to ABC. ESPN has already given up the title game. They're not going to want to give up the semifinals, too. Everyone makes a mistake with ESPN of thinking that being on ESPN means that they don't value the product, that being on ABC means they value the product. ESPN wants all of its rights for ESPN only, all right? And that's why the you know college football title game is there and not on ABC. They would want the NBA finals there and not on ABC. So uh, I think it's less likely now that the semifinals will be on ABC. Yeah, um, th that's really interesting to me, John. Um, could you maybe kind of explain more why they would be angry that ABC got such a big number? I mean, obviously, it's all uh, under the Disney umbrella. Right. Is it just kind of brand loyalty or egos at the top that, you know, they want that property on ESPN? Because you would think, you know, well, be all be in Disney properties. They they just want as big a number as possible, right? Yes and no, because I mean, I'm not I don't think they're angry that it did so well. I think it's more like this should have been on ESPN and it has more value to them to be on ESPN than on ABC, because obviously the cable model is more valuable in terms of subscriber fees and things like that than the retransmission fees you get on over the year. Uh, so the, the cable side of it is more valuable to them. It's more valuable to them to get 8 million on ESPN than to get 9.2 million on ABC. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's not quite like that with the other, you know, cable arms of the broadcast networks, because ultimately ESPN is the strongest of those networks, like FS1 versus Fox. I'm quite sure there were people at Fox who were very pleased to get that big number for the World Baseball Classic, more pleased to get that big number for the World Baseball Classic on FS1 than if they'd gotten a bigger number on Fox. But ultimately, you know, ESPN is so strong relative to ABC as compared to FS1 relative to Fox that I think there's a lot of people who would think there's really not a big enough difference in the, you know, the reach of those two networks to justify putting the biggest events on over the year. I am personally a big proponent of putting events over the year because I could care less what Disney wants. I think if you're the leagues, you want the biggest audience, right? But if you're Disney, if you're ESPN in particular, you, you know, you're willing to sacrifice a little bit of viewership so that those events are airing on ESPN. You know, there's a tremendous amount of value in being able to say, hey, here, here's a list of all the events we have that get, you know, a certain number that you're not getting from any other cable network. Because look, the cable bundle is still around. ESPN is still trying to, you know, uh, uh, get the best deal from the the, the uh, 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 providers. So ultimately for them, the value of 8 million viewers for that game is so much higher than 9.9 .9 million on, on ABC. 
Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. I, I will say this this game could not have come at a better time for oh, yeah. women's basketball. I mean, with the new rights deal coming up for them, this is the perfect storm for getting maximum value out of that deal. Do you have any um, maybe predictions as to how that would go down? Yeah. Well, obviously, I've been saying. I mean, I'm not. I'm not breaking any ground here. A lot of people have been saying it that the women's tournament obviously needs to be having its own deal. I think if you're Fox, you have to go after it. That makes the most sense. Uh, you know, I think there's a lot of opportunity because the other thing too, the women's tournament did so well this year that the pittance of ABC games that it gets doesn't make any sense anymore, right? The men's tournament is on every single window, but one, there's a CBS game. Well, actually, that's not true because TBS has a night of the elite eight to itself. But other than that, there's only one window in the first, you know, week or so that's not on CBS. It's that late Sunday window where they have their primetime shows. Um, every other window, you have a broadcast TV component. They're not going to do that for the women's tournament because it's not at that level yet, but there really should be more broadcast TV games. And so you're not going to get that with ESPN for the reasons that I just said. Fox, I think Fox would air women's tournament games at two o'clock in the afternoon on a Friday. I do. So to me, uh, one, this event is tremendously valuable. Obviously, the ceiling is higher than anybody thought it was. And it can go even higher with better TV coverage, which ESPN cannot provide because ESPN cannot provide that broadcast TV component. So I, I look at Fox as the obvious contender. There are people who might have an issue because of Fox's politics. I think most of us can compartmentalize between what Fox does to the country and what Fox Sports does, right? Uh, so the reality of the matter is they have the Women's World Cup. They, they do a great job with that. We know that they can cover women's sports competently, and that is the obvious contender, Fox Sports. I'd be shocked if they weren't interested. NBC, maybe. I can't see NBC affiliates being quite as open to preempting programming to air women's basketball in the afternoon. But, um, you know, I, I think NBC could be a contender with games on NBC, USA, and Peacock, but they just don't have the outlets. Fox has Fox, FS1, FS2, and Tubi. You know, uh, for NBC, you know, I, I don't think it can work out quite as well. And CBS and Turner just don't have the space, right? That'd be the obvious, but they don't have the space. The, the other thing I want to dive into that you said in your open, John, is that 3.30 time slot versus yeah. the the prime time. You do see a lot of people on social media saying that, oh, imagine if this game was in prime time. But the reality is, you know, Sunday afternoon has mm -hmm. been a very successful yes. time slot on broadcast television, right? That's always the most popular or the most viewed NFL time slot every Sunday. And it kind of was borne out that that was also a successful time slot for this women's championship game. Yeah. Um, why do you think that is? Is that just kind of the habits of, of the TV watching public? Well, I think... Sunday afternoons, people, it's almost like a holiday. People are gathering with their families and they're watching. It's a rest day. Uh, and so 3.30 in the afternoon, you have a little bit of an earlier dinner on Sunday. That kind of thing, I think, is, is responsible for that. I do think 3.30 is too early, right? The NFL games start at 4.25. When NBC had the NBA, their big game started at 5.30. I think that evening window, Super Bowl is at 6.30 for a reason, right? That evening window, to me, is the best window on Sunday. 
prime time actually isn't that great on Sunday. I don't think you want to go up against all the prestige shows on HBO that people on Twitter talk about, but nobody actually watches, right? Uh, you know, you want to have that evening window. So 5, 5.30 p.m. Most of the other broadcast networks are okay with preempting, you know, one night of the evening news, one night of the local news, that 7 p.m. window. You know, broadcast prime time on Sunday is four hours long. So you can start a game at six o'clock and you're going into prime time and you still have eight, nine and 1030 or 10 o'clock, I should say, for your other prime time shows. But ABC just refuses to go past the six o'clock news. Every event on ABC, it's got to end in time so we can go watch world news, right? As if it's 2003 and Peter Jennings is still there. We've got to get to world news. Ridiculous. Uh, they need to get into four and four thirty and five o'clock starts, not just for the women's tournament, but for the NBA. The NBA has been needing that time slot for 20 years. That was their primary time slot on, on NBC. So, uh, you know, but ABC won't go past six o'clock. we got to protect America's Funniest Home Videos. we got to protect Carlton, right? It's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard of. Uh, and ugh, man, if you if you have a deal with ESPN, you don't have an over the year partner. It's just that simple. The, the one other thing that we kind of alluded to in last week's podcast was that these headlines would kind of write themselves that women's basketball is on the rise while men's basketball might be on the decline. Do you think there's any actual credence to that? Or is this just a matter of circumstance where the women's game had a ton of stars and then the men had not some not so great TV draws? Um, or do you think that gap is kind of permanently closing? Well, I think the gap is closing, but I also think it's absurd to draw broad conclusions from one year of ratings. And a lot of people do that because it gets clicks. The reality of the matter is the men's tournament just last year had UNC and Duke in the final four. Uh, and uh, I don't even know what the other one was, Kansas Villanova. And the women had, uh, even with a pretty good draw, uh, dramatically lower numbers then than they did this year. Could easily go in the other direction next year. You know, You have no idea who's going to advance. Uh, I would expect the women's tournament to remain at an elevated level for a while, as long as Caitlin Clark and company are there. But, you know, you're not going to just luck into a golden generation of superstars every single time, right? And uh, this is not the WNBA where they'll play 20 years. This is college where they're going to run out of eligibility. So I do think the women's tournament has made a leap where going back under 5 million viewers for a final might not happen for a while. But, uh, you know, I don't think, you know, the why X is hot and Y is not SI cover style thing. I, I don't think that's going to work here because we have no idea what the final four is going to look like next year. We have no idea, uh, you know, what kind of teams are going to advance. And we have no idea what's going to happen after this generation of women stars graduates. I mean, it's been a great generation, but you, you're just not guaranteed to have players like that every time. So it was a great year for the women's game. And I do think that it is going to be at an elevated level going forward. But, you know, I don't think, you know, that uh, there's going to be that based on this year, you can draw any conclusions about how these sports are going to compare to each other. Well, with that, let's let's talk a little bit about the men's final four ratings. We had 12.8 for Miami and UConn, which was the, the prime time slot on CBS, which was down significantly from the prior year, which, as you mentioned, was UNC and Duke. Um, and then the early slot with uh, Florida Atlantic and San Diego State got 11.9, which was a slight uptick from the early slot last year. What are your main takeaways from those two numbers? 
Well, I think the SDSU uh, FAU game did quite well relative to expectations, right? Uh, and it increased over Kansas Villanova last year on cable. Most watched early semifinal in four years with the obvious caveats that Baylor Houston was in an earlier time slot and then there was no game in 20. So we're really talking about just last year, which was on cable. So not the most impressive four-year high, uh, but still a four-year high for San Diego State FAU. Games got to be good. It was a good game. Well, it wasn't a good game. It was a good finish, right? And uh, that's what you need. Um, ultimately, it's very interesting to watch sometimes how we be were rating relative to the expectation because it was uh, around the same place as the NBA finals games were last year, but that was Golden State Boston. So that was a bad number, whereas this is a good number because of the teams involved. It is what it is. I think ultimately, um, you know, it's better than I would have thought, uh, but it is still the men's final four. So there is a, there's a certain, you know, baseline level that you're going to reach but hey baylor houston three years ago was like eight million so again in an earlier window in the covid year but you know so it, it did a lot better than it than it had to uh yukon miami was pretty poor relative to what you would expect for that late window lowest in 20 years since the iraq war tournament in 03 uh yukon's kind of a boring team Right, UConn, uh, whether it's the women or the men, they come in, they beat everyone badly. It's, uh, you know, if UConn's in the final, women or men, it's kind of a drag, isn't it? It's kind of a drag when UConn makes it this far. So um, I'm not surprised by those numbers, and we'll see what the national title game did. We're recording the podcast on Tuesday morning, so obviously we don't have the numbers for the uh, national title game. Uh, there is the non-time zone adjusted fast national uh, and, but that's not actually available right now. And those are pretty, you know, not the best to run with you. You only run with the non-times and adjusted fast nationals. If you're a dishonest liar, who's trying to, you know, spread, uh, misinformation, I guess. I'd say that for me, the biggest takeaway from, from the men's final four is something we've always known with sports me media or in sports media, excuse me, which is you want close and you want late, right? Mm -hmm. You just want exciting games for for an event like the men's final four on a certain level it doesn't matter if it's florida atlantic and san diego state yeah. playing if the game's close there will be that inherent interest so and we got the exact opposite with miami and yukon right that game was never really competitive exactly. um yukon always kept them at arm's reach which is kind of not all too dissimilar to the game last night um yeah. so i i have to say if i if i put my prognosticating glasses on um that's probably not going to get a great number either no, just given the so. yeah given how boring that game was yeah uh, it has yet to 14 million viewers to be the most watched basketball game of the past year i think it probably will but i'm not really 100 percent sure uh it was such a boring game so just uh, uninteresting and not the not the teams people want to see yeah so. You know, FAU too, maybe there was a little bit of a Cinderella aspect with them. I mean, it never really seemed like they took off as a Cinderella the way that other teams have, but maybe that, maybe there's a bit of a following. I will say <laughs> Butler VCU was better back in 11, different time, but over 14 million. Uh, that was the previous uh, mid-major title game. All right. Anything else to wrap up uh, our college basketball discussion? Yeah, uh, how how insipid was the debate over the uh, Angel Reese Caitlin Clark gesture? Uh, man, you know, um, I will say this: um, I actually didn't like it in the moment uh, when I saw that. I was like, "Wow, yeah," and uh, I I didn't like it because I don't like when people do that. 
I didn't like when that guy on the Guardians rocked the baby around the bases. I thought he looked like an idiot. I didn't like it when Pat Bev did the too small to LeBron, although I loved it when Austin Reeves gave it right back to him. Uh, you know, in general, I don't like it when people act like a fool when they're winning, uh, because we all know what their energy is going to be like if they're losing. So I didn't like it. Uh, and it's okay not to like it. What's not okay is to debate it vehemently for 24 to 48 hours. That is just insipid. And uh, I'll tell you uh, that, that anytime you're in the culture wars, the culture warriors are the worst people on earth, man. They really are. And that whole debate, honestly, it kind of soured me. Uh, I, I wasn't as excited for last night's game, the San Diego State-UConn game, because of that whole nonsense. So uh, anytime you have a, an event that has a mass audience, you're going to get something like that, unfortunately. And it seems to happen more often with women's sports, where if there's a big audience for women's sports, people just act like a complete fool about it and have these heated debates. Uh, and it's uh, ridiculous. I hope we get to the point one day where a women's sport can get a big audience and we don't have to have some kind of national conversation after. Really well said, John. And I, I will say from my perspective, I, I also in the moment thought it was that was pretty unsavory. Um, the the circumstances surrounding it with that late when the game's already in hand was kind of off putting. But I do think overall, from just a pure sports media perspective, right. it's great for the game. You know, yeah. it builds personalities, and you know, in sports we love to have a villain. And and I thought what Angel Reese did was was pretty villainous. You know, <laughs> yeah. I it's not something that you know the good guy does. So yeah. some people, I mean, the argument, yeah. the argument, of course, is the it's the race argument, which is that Caitlin Clark does the same thing and nobody notices. Well, I'll be 100% honest. I didn't see Caitlin Clark do that because, I mean, I don't watch college basketball outside of March. So I don't know the backstory there. I've seen Caitlin Clark make expressions at the end of a game that were kind of self-aggrandizing. And, you know, you roll your eyes at that. At least I do. I always find it a little annoying when people are like, hey, look how amazing I am. It's like, eh, whatever. But, you know, um, I understand the racial uh, double standard because we all know there's a racial double standard. And, you know, I was an all-white team, not all-white team, but, you know, uh, certainly at any given point of the game, there were five white players on there. I'm sure there was a lot of racial stuff there. But uh, you know what? When people mock someone at the point of victory, folks aren't going to like it. There's nothing wrong with not liking what she did. There's genuinely nothing wrong with not liking what she did. There might be something wrong with not liking what she did, but not noticing when Caitlin Clark does it. That might mm -hmm. be wrong. There yes. might be something wrong with endlessly debating what she did for 24 hours. But if you saw that in the moment and went, ugh, I did too. It was an obnoxious thing to do. She's also like 20 years old. Guess what? Most 20-year-olds are obnoxious. Surprise. Mm -hmm. So it, it really wasn't that big of a deal. Um, I didn't like it. It really wasn't that big of a deal. I uh, And the, what really ticked me off, more so than that, which was, again, just kind of like that instant roll your eyes moment and move on, what really ticked me off was the fact that there had to be a culture war debate about it. And again, this happens a lot in women's sports. Happened every single time Serena Williams took the court. Serena's whole career, we had to have a national conversation after every match. I want to get, and that's one of the reasons, by the way, as someone who enjoys women's sports that have no audience, like the WNBA, you always have to think to yourself, the more popular these things get, the more toxic the conversation will be, because we have not reached the point yet 
where women can play sports in front of a large audience and there isn't a national conversation that follows. So hopefully we get to that point soon. I think you put a bow on that very well. My, my final points on it, it's entertaining. It raises the profile of the sport. So I like it for that reason, but it's okay to have an opinion either way. You yeah. can like that she does that. That's totally fine. There are plenty of people that like the heel in mm -hmm. WWE, right? And then there's plenty of people that, you know, would rather root for, for the, well, I, the opposition. So Well, I've always hated the heel. Let me tell you, it. I still have a low opinion of Rick Fox because of the way he was acting at the end of Game 6 of the 2000 Western Conference Finals. I saw that when I was 11, and I was like, I don't like this guy. And I still don't. So I've never liked the heel. I've always hated the heel. Yeah, as long as you're keeping it consistent to your personality, that might be the key there. Yeah. All right, John, um, let's move on to our next topic. So, John, obviously, we have a big golf tournament coming up this week. The Masters, always probably the biggest golf viewing audience of the year. Any thoughts on the lead up to the Masters, ratings, predictions, anything of that like? Well, you know, the Masters, honestly, it's a palate cleanser. Between that dumb controversy at the end of the women's game and how bad the men's final was, I actually am really looking forward to the Masters. I was thinking about the Masters, and I was like, oh, thank God. It's so weird that you get to the end of March Madness, for me anyway, and it was like, get this out of here. I've, I've rarely felt that way about March Madness, where it's just like, get this out of here, man. So I'm looking forward to the Masters. I'm thinking about like the, the azaleas or whatever, the green. It just looks so beautiful in my mind. The weather is going to be terrible, uh, so it probably won't be a great Masters. Tiger's situation, we don't know if he's going to be able to contend, but all I know is after that weekend... I'm just ready for Augusta, which of course has its own controversies that we won't get into. <laughs> yeah. As far as ratings, and of course there is the controversy of the live tour. Everyone mm -hmm. in golf cares about this. I could care less, honest to God. I'm so sick and tired of hearing about, oh, they hate the live golfers. The live golfers hate them. I don't care. This is golf. You know, I am not going to get worked up over golf ever in my life. So for me, uh, as far as the ratings go, I have no idea. I think if Tiger is in contention, but is Tiger really going to be in contention? Is Phil going to be in contention? Is Phil even good anymore? Who are the good golfers? Uh, but golf ratings have been up. And so based on that, and very importantly, the fact that it's Easter. So let me quickly mention Easter for years was a terrible day for sports ratings. And then last year on Easter, the NBA got crazy high numbers that because it was the first weekend of the NBA playoffs, crazy high numbers that didn't make sense based on the rating, right? Easter, apparently, based on last year, is a great day for ratings in the out-of-home era. So based on that, Easter, which for years was such a ratings hit, CBS would point out if the uh, final round aired on Easter. They would say, well, keep in mind this aired on Easter, right? This year, that Easter Sunday effect, because of out-of-home viewing, I think maybe you'll see 11, 12 million viewers in the final round. I don't know. I have a hard time believing that it could get that high, but I have a hard time believing it got 10 million last year. That's kind of a crazy high number for golf nowadays. Yeah, definitely. Uh, like you mentioned, some great storylines coming into this tournament. Uh, as someone that follows golf closely, I think you know, outside of Tiger or Phil contending on Sunday, the the ratings key is going to be if there's a live golfer contending with 
one of the PGA's darlings like Rory McIlroy or Scotty Scheffler, you know, um, John Rahm. If any of those live guys like Cam Smith or Dustin Johnson are are on the leaderboard Sunday and and giving a a real push to one of those PGA Tour darlings, I think that is something that would be a TV draw. Yeah, I think you're probably right. I mean, for me, it's tough because I genuinely just don't care about this live tour thing at all. But I, I, I suspect you're probably right that there are people who will be absolutely tuning in. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, I mean, we'll see what happens. The weather is going to be a big problem though. Mm-hmm. The weather is going to be so bad. It, it, the weather has been ridiculous the last couple of weeks. Uh, it's going to be more severe weather in parts of the country today. That's going to be pushing into, uh, Georgia just in time for the masters. So, uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, and, uh, you know, hopefully we can get that in, but, uh, yeah, we, we definitely know. Yeah. 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 We definitely know historically that weather delayed golf tournaments do not rate well that is uh, the one problem for for professional golf so if you're cbs you're certainly hoping that the weather is not so bad that they they force a delay yeah you gotta put a retractable roof over the uh over augusta national right (laughs) yeah that's always the joke (laughs) yeah yeah all right. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about baseball opening day? Yeah, let's talk about baseball. The excitement is so high around baseball right now because these games are finishing, I mean, two-hour games, right? Uh, this has the potential to change everything with baseball as a TV property because if you can get those windows down to two hours, I mean, that's going to be amazing. Even just two and a half hours. That's an NBA window. That means you can start the World Series at 830, like back in the 1980s, right? Now, I know people say, wait, you're just going to start the game even later? Yeah, that's probably what you're going to do because they want to get the game going until 11 o'clock. That's when they want it to end. But an 830 start, you know, uh, that's 530 Pacific time. Get some of that West Coast audience in. Uh, There's a lot of potential here with that. Uh, The opening day numbers were up on ESPN. I wouldn't take that too seriously because last year was on ESPN too. And ultimately, opening night, has really fallen off. This was an event that used to do a lot better and uh, still below 2 million. You got to get over 2 million for your opening night game. It's ridiculous. It's the first game of the year. You got to get over 2 million for that. Uh, the first Sunday night game uh, obviously was going to be down because it wasn't the Yankees. Last year was Yankees Red Sox. This year, Phillies Rangers. And that one, I think, was around uh, uh, not too good. Not too good at yeah. all, actually. Yeah. Uh, 1.3. Yeah, but you add in the ESPN too, so around 1.5, 1.6, down pretty sharply from Yankees Red Sox last year, and and not that great either, Um, especially since, you know, uh, it makes sense a little bit because the last time that the season started on this weekend, it had a lead-in from the women's title game. Uh, This year, no lead-in, but uh, they got to do a little bit better there. But I think if you're baseball, you got to be thrilled. Uh, The ratings at the start of the year aren't going to matter as much as getting uh, this pitch clock thing consistent and making the games shorter there's a lot of upside for that down the stretch definitely you know the the buzz around baseball yeah. has all been positive and that's a first for yes. for quite a long time there has not been this much positive buzz around the sport in quite a while and i think that'll kind of show the the more long-term gains down down the line when we get to the postseason chase and and all of that yeah. so i agree you know opening night this isn't really when people are thinking about baseball. It, it's usually a, a nice little one-off for, for people living in, in uh, Major League Baseball cities. Right. You know, you can go attend a game or two. But 
after that, you kind of forget about it until the middle of summer once NBA playoffs are done. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, that's a big part of the season because there's no competition, but it also is a part of the season where no one's really paying much attention to sports either. Mm -hmm. So uh, for baseball, I think, uh, you know, let's get to September and let's see what the, what the, the time of game is because it's entirely possible time of game could creep back up. Let's get to September and see what the time of game is. And, uh, you know, the regular season ratings in baseball don't matter. They don't care about national TV. Let's see what happens in the postseason. Let's talk about the the new CBA for the NBA, John. Used to uh, be very difficult to get an NBA CBA without losing some games, or at least nearly losing some games, but they managed to get it done yet again. Second straight CBA renewed without very uh, much difficulty. A lot of people, a lot of fans seem to want a lockout because they're upset with player empowerment and all that stuff, but no lockout. Uh, the new play, the new midseason tournament is coming. There's so much written about the NBA and its ratings. It's just insane. Like people, you know, it's always one extreme or another. So a few years ago, people were saying the NBA could catch the NFL, which was asinine. Now, every single rating is compared to the NBA. Oh, wow. You see the women's game. It beat the NBA. It also beat the World Series. You know, I mean, well, it didn't beat the World Series, but it also beat every baseball game outside of the World Series. It also beat every NASCAR race since 2017. It's not a coincidence or particularly subtle that people are constantly comparing every single number only to the NBA and not to anything else. The NBA is obviously not in the best position it's been in in a long time, right? We know that the viewership has fallen off a bit, but it still does pretty well. And I'm going to be very intrigued to see if that uh, San Diego State-UConn game last night does better than any game of the finals. I think it probably will. But I also think there's an outside shot that after today, we could be looking around and saying, most watched basketball game of the past year after all this was game six of the NBA finals at 13.99 million. You know, the NBA is still there. It's still a factor. It still draws well. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of people living in the uh, the old outkick bubble who don't know that. It is what it is. Uh, but uh, certainly, I think the NBA is well positioned right now with that CBA done to get the kind of money it wants. I mean, triple its rights to free is, is going to be a lot because they already make $2.7 billion. You're, and that, that's a lot of money. I don't think they're going to triple it. Uh, but uh, they're going to get, uh, I mean, if the NBA gets to four or five billion a year, I mean, that's going to be amazing. There's going to be people painting that as a defeat. It's, oh, well, they wanted to triple their rights to you. Oh, it, it, like if the NBA gets to four or five billion, that is going to be unbelievable when you consider that baseball isn't even at two billion. And granted, baseball could have more of a national rights fee, it just wants to protect its local rights. So it doesn't really give you know, the networks much to bid on. You know, and TBS, TBS is a game tonight. It's not even available in the local markets. I mean, why is TBS even paying money for their regular season games, right? That, that baseball could have more national TV money if it wanted to, but certainly I don't think you'd get four or 5 billion and maybe the NBA can get there. And if it can, I think that'll be pretty amazing. Yeah. Um, the tripling of NBA rights seems a little bit ambitious, yeah. um, especially I, I think after, you know, the NFL deal was done, um, these networks are going to get a little bit more conservative yeah. with how they they pay for rights fees, just considering where the where the cable bundle is kind of going with the amount of pay TV households continuing to decrease. Yeah. So I, I think that'll kind of affect how much some of these properties get. Four or five billion for the NBA would be a great success, and um, we'll we'll have to keep an eye on how those negotiations go next year. Okay, so let me just quickly mention before we get out here the 
fast national non-time zone adjusted. Again, don't make too many conclusions out of it, especially since San Diego State West Coast team was involved. Uh, numbers for the title game on the men's side uh, looks to be uh, somewhat decently lower than what it was in 21 when CBS last had it. Again, non-time zone adjusted, uh, you know, a million caveats, but it's going to come in based on what the non-time zone adjusted numbers look like. It's going to come in lower than 21. No surprise there. My expectation remains that it'll be low 14 million. Maybe it'll creep up to 15 million. Who knows? Um, you know, it is what it is. Wasn't a good game. So just wanted to quickly add that. Uh, and um, I think that's about it on the rating side for this week. I mean, we could also talk a little bit about what, uh, was there anything else? Not really. NASCAR. Uh, NASCAR had uh, 2.3 million at Richmond. No surprise. It's on FS1. That's actually not that bad because last year's first FS1 race was under 2 million. So if you're NASCAR, you'll take that. Uh, and uh, Texas Open wasn't too great based on what I'm seeing, but I haven't looked at how it compares to last year. And another million viewer plus outing for the NHL on ABC on Final Four Saturday, 1.14 million for Bruins, Penguins. They have found something there with the NHL on ABC that they did not have a season ago. And by the way, 671,000 for the Bruins against a very, uh, not very good Blues team based on what I'm seeing in the standings, uh, opposite the women's title game on Sunday. That's a good number for TNT. Uh, no game in the XFL had, uh, you know, a tremendously high number, but also Sunday opposite that women's final four game, 502,000 for St. Louis Houston on ESPN. Not a great number, but better than what we've been seeing for the XFL on cable of late. Yeah, and just a couple notable notable things from my end. Um, no live golf number this week for Live Miami on the CW. First time we haven't gotten any sort of leak or Nielsen number for for live golf. Um, and then I'm also hearing that NBC will be announcing quite a big number for WrestleMania, um, calling it the third most watched live event year to date, just behind the Super Bowl and World Cup. So expect a really big viewership number for WrestleMania. I know that's kind of outside the the purview of this podcast. Yeah. Uh, we kind of focus on sports and not sports entertainment, yeah. but with all the WWE happenings with uh with the Endeavor deal, it's a, it's a pretty yeah. interesting time in in the world of pro wrestling. Yeah, sure is. Um, and let me just quickly add. Very interesting stat here. Australian Grand Prix F1, the qualifying on Friday outdrew the race on Saturday. So that's very odd. Uh, the Grand Prix, 556,000 for the actual race, which is not a very good number, honestly, for F1. Uh, 605,000 for qualifying the previous day. So I imagine that's the Caitlin Clark effect because the qualifying aired on the same night as the women's final four. So the women's final four ended, I guess, what, yeah, 11 o'clock, Sports Center then qualifying the next day uh, did not have that lead in. Very interesting. Good catch there, John. Um, all right. You want to close us out? Yeah, I think we've covered pretty much everything. Uh, didn't mention the pickleball, the pickleball slam, oh, yeah. uh, 669,000 viewers for Agassi, Michael Chang, Roddick pickleball slam. That's almost like a COVID era event. It feels like <laughs> this doesn't seem like a real thing. Um, and that's not a bad number at all for ESPN out through college softball on ESPN two in the previous day, but in the same window, Texas, Oklahoma. Uh, so, you know, not, not a bad number uh, for a pickleball slam. Uh, and it also, comfortably outdrew its XFL lead out. 
the XFL lead out was 356 that uh, actually, you know, this was Sunday it was 502, the aforementioned game that I talked about. So uh, I think you'll take that if you're a pickleball, maybe not if you're the XFL, you might not want to want to have too many people knowing the pickleball uh, comfortably outdrew you. But um, yeah, I think we're pretty much done. Um, only things left are things we can't address on the pod because they're coming out later. That would be the men's national title game numbers and the full NCAA tournament average. Uh, we are on to basketball played by professionals now, which uh, uh, I certainly don't mind. Let me quickly just sneak in a little discussion about the WNBA. Sure. Uh, it'll be very interesting to see if the WNBA can draft off of what this women's tournament did because the women's tournament has always been dramatically more popular than the WNBA. This is not the gap between men's basket, men's college and the NBA. It's a much bigger gap. Um, Caitlin Clark isn't going to be suiting up on a WNBA court anytime soon, but Aliyah Boston will be uh, granted. She'll probably be playing for a terrible team. That's the way it is with the draft. Uh, but um, you know, the big story for the WNBA this year, Brittany Griner's return and that super team in New York. Uh, and uh, maybe this can be a year where the WNBA starts to break through. But the excuses for the WNBA are dwindling because we just saw nearly 10 million viewers watch women's basketball. The stakes have been raised for what the WNBA needs to start accomplishing. It's not going to happen all in one year, but there's got to be real growth this year, like real, like a, at least one milestone. The easiest milestone of them all get back over a million viewers. I think they'll do that for game number one on ESPN. Brittany Griner's return. They'll have a great lead in from the NHL conference finals, probably Boston, New York, or something like that. And, you know, that'll probably be a very highly rated NHL conference final. If it is like Boston, New York, you get that lead in, maybe you get 1.2, 1.3 million. I mean, I think that at least that milestone should be reached this year. But if you come out of this year, for the WNBA, and we can still say that no game has had a million viewers since 2008. That'll be very, very disappointing to say the least. Great point, John. All right, let's close out the podcast. All right. Well, hey, thank you again for joining the podcast. This has been John Lewis along with Drew Lerner signing off. Don't forget to sign up for the Sports Media Watch podcast feed on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, yada, yada, yada. You know where to find this podcast. And we will see you next week with a guest. So uh, that'll be fun. Uh, enjoy Easter Sunday. Uh, I guess have a solemn Good Friday and then an enjoyable Easter Sunday, right? So we'll see you back here next week. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. 
Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.